So the kids read the main text for us this morning, and, and I won't uh, stand here and, and reread it. We'll touch on a couple of things um, in, in the message. And uh, it's exciting because it's Advent. It's still Advent. I know that uh, some of you said Merry Christmas. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We got like 14 more hours. Um, but really, Merry Christmas. And uh, Christmas is such a wonderful time where we are reminded of the hope that we have in Christ and where we are reminded that Jesus came to earth to save us, to rescue us from our sins. It's a time where we are reminded of the sense of wonder of Christ. And yet at the same time, there can be tension in celebrating the meaning of Christmas and then the tension of getting all the gifts and decorations and navigating the Christmas parties, which family gets Christmas Eve, which family gets Christmas, which family like mine, we do Christmas in February. Well, when your mom lives in Ohio. Is anyone done? Is everyone done with their shopping? Anyone going to go right after this and go to Walmart and get something real quick? You want to raise your hand and be honest and look at your spouse and say, I love you still? All right. Wouldn't it be neat if I had all these gifts just to give you and say that I took care of it? Well, I think we have two more candy canes. But you know that tension, you know, whenever you're first married, one of the things when I do premarital counseling is I discuss right away the importance of deciding and working out a schedule to navigate the holiday season, who gets Easter, who gets Christmas, who gets Thanksgiving. But really that can distract us from the meaning of Christmas and Christmas gatherings for some of you won't be the same. Um, Again, some of you... uh, may celebrate later on in the new year, and some of you are trying to navigate what it looks like now. And yet, all at the same time, while you're trying to focus on the birth of Christ and the gift of salvation, that God sent his one and only son, that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You know that, for those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ this morning, but yet, the reality is, the ham has to be cooked, or the turkey has to be cooked, and the presence, and, and as you navigate that... A couple days ago, I was uh, talking to a friend who was stressing over the Christmas season, and he lists a couple of things of why he was stressed, some legitimate things, some financial things, some change of jobs, and he was describing that to me, and he said this, and I quote, and he gave me permission. He said, I'm sad that I'm not as excited as I should be that we are celebrating Jesus' birth. I'm so focused on myself. He said... And just so you know the background, he grew up in a Christian home. He loves the Lord, he and his wife, and they celebrate him. And he said it's just challenging not to see this Christmas story as simply a story in a book. I wish I had the hope that I had long ago. And he went on to mention someone that we both know who just a couple of years ago, he was new to his faith. And he This guy, he calls everybody or texts everybody, and he said, can you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? That should blow your mind. I am so excited. And again, he's only been a Christian for three years, to which my friend said, I wish I was that excited. It's like, yeah, I know, but so what? And that's why for the last few years here at Renew, we have taken time to do, in some shape or form, an Advent season And that's what we have been doing. Advent means the waiting, the coming of, the arrival of something. 
Uh, it is a reminder of the eager anticipation that people had waiting for the Messiah to come over 2,000 years ago and a similar anticipation that we have in his return, his second coming. And Advent is not just waiting, as we have discussed the last couple of weeks. And if you haven't been here, that's okay. I'll just give you a quick showdown. But what it looks like is, and the question that remains at least that has for me for this month of December is, am I waiting well? Am I waiting with hope? Am I waiting in hope? There's a difference in waiting with hope and in hope. With hope is you believe, in hope is you believe in Christ. So again, for the several weeks, we've been taking a look at Isaiah 9, 6. And this prophet, about 740 years before Christ's birth, described some of the characteristics of Jesus Christ and what he would be and what he would bring to this world. Isaiah 9, 6 for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I have to just note real quickly, I think I've read this to all of us about five times. I think I've read this over the last month, maybe 30 times. I don't think that's an exaggeration, but... Uh, when I heard it read to me this morning, I heard it differently. Not that the words changed, but the understanding that this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace is for me too. Not just for me to give, but for me to receive. I hope that's true of you. See, wonderful counselor, what we were discussing is wonderful. Isaiah uses a, a word in Hebrew that means it's so indescribable. I can't even begin to tell you. And we discussed how sometimes we use the word, we overuse the word wonderful, wonderful tacos, wonderful marriage, wonderful God. But it's indescribable. And then he calls him counselor. It's a two-word counselor like this mighty king that is so wise and is so in control that his counsel is true. This is the coming Messiah, then mighty God, that Jesus indeed is God, the second person of the Trinity. And mighty, the word mighty is a mighty warrior, a warrior without defeat. And then everlasting father, the word everlasting means ongoing, reassured, a father that will never let you down. And then last week, Hayden did a, such a wonderful job talking about Prince of Peace. If you missed that sermon, I highly recommend it. And he pointed out to us that the source of peace and true peace can only be found in the person of Christ, not by anything else. And he described the shalom peace is a wall without defect. It's perfect. And today we will look at the fulfillment of the prophecy with Jesus' birth. But I think we have to remember that when Jesus was born, it was at a dark time. That's why there's so many predictions, prophecies that were made by the Old Testament uh, prophets who, and I was looking into it, and just with Jesus' birth alone and where he was born, 780 prophecies were fulfilled. That's mind-blowing. But it was a dark time when Isaiah wrote the words in Isaiah 60, 1 through 2. He says, Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth. But the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. There's hope 
and Christmas. Not just the Christmas over 2,000 years, but Christmas tomorrow. There's hope. So earlier on during this Advent season, uh, Ashley sent out an email with the Advent um, series that you could go and do with your family. I don't know if you did it. I know some of you did it because you had mentioned some of your highlights from it. I was going to share that, but there was a lot. But that, that's something that we regularly do in our home, in the Jackson 5 home. Our Jackson 5, just to be clear. Um, and, and another thing that we've picked up on is we, we got a story, uh, a book called The Twelve Stories of Christmas. There's a pastor named Robert J. Morgan. And every year at his church on Christmas Eve, he would tell a story that would take 20 or 25 minutes to tell. That's my kind of pastor. I love me a good story. It was so um, exciting for him to tell the different stories over the decades. I think it was 30 decades that he told a story, a different story pointing to Christ or Christmas. And it became the congregation's favorite service. And people would come all over just to hear this man tell a story. You know the people who can tell a really good story. And you just love that. I love that. In him, But what he did after he retired is uh, he picked 12 of his favorite Christmas stories that he would tell, and he put them in a book called 12 Stories of Christmas. I know some of you are familiar with it. And uh, for the last couple of years, including this one, we would read a story every couple nights, and if we missed one, I'd read two. And, and um, there are stories that move you to tears. All I have to do is say, Ollie. And if you're already crying, then I know you know that story. And I was really considering doing it, but I, I don't want to cry, so I won't. And then there are stories that make you laugh. They're so ridiculous. And then for some of you, is that true? Is that story actually true? Who cares? It's a great story. Well, just, this, uh, just a couple of days ago, about four days ago, we were reading one of these stories, and it's perfect for the Christmas season. There's this one story, again, it's just this, it encapsulates this, this story of this tension between the true meaning of Christmas and then the expectation of Christmas. And I won't spoil it too much for you, but in this one particular story, a famous artist was commissioned to create this beautiful nativity scene. And she carves out this most amazing nativity scene that you've ever seen. She, she carved some of it out of marble. She carved some of it out of bone, a camel's bone. She carved some of it out of wood. And it is spectacular. The way that it is described, it's just simply perfect. It will be the main focus in, the, in their town's Christmas celebration. And the story continues that there's a certain little boy that has a very naughty dog. And days before Christmas, the baby Jesus portion of the nativity scene was taken and lost by this dog. And it's heartbreaking. Because in the story, you just hear how beautiful this baby Jesus looks. And of course, she chose to carve baby Jesus out of a bone, so it's her fault anyways. But there was great disappointment, as you can imagine. Have you ever been there where Christmas just doesn't quite live up to what you were hoping for. If Christ isn't the center of your Christmas season, then by nine o'clock tomorrow after you open all the presents or if you have children after 6.30 a.m., your kids will be disappointed. 
You may be disappointed, not necessarily because you didn't get the gift you wanted or the kids didn't get the gift they wanted or the family dynamic isn't perfect. You'll be disappointed because gifts of this world just fall short. But in this story, this nativity scene is completely destroyed. How can you have a nativity scene without baby Jesus? Destroyed and ruined. They end up calling this nativity scene the empty Christmas. The artist completely changes the nativity scene from the classic uh, scene that you recognize that many of you probably have in your home. She sets up the following the night before. She throws out everything else and before on the table that she's leaving at the center of the church is a miniature version of a monarch's throne. Next to that is a small marble manger. Next to the manger is a small wooden cross. And next to the cross is an empty tomb. And people come by expecting this great nativity scene in their church when they show up on Christmas Eve and there before them is no nativity scene at all. Again, there is a throne, a manger, a wooden cross, and an empty tomb with no explanation at all, but a little caption at the bottom that reads, Empty Christmas. And throughout the story, there's a little bit back and forth. You have to get the book to read it. There's this conversation that takes place between the people who are initially disappointed. And this is what they say, and I quote from the book. People never think beyond the babe in the manger on Christmas. But I was taught that, and I yet still believe, that Christmas is about an empty throne, an empty manger, an empty cross, and an empty tomb, all of which fills our empty hearts. The Christ child left the throne for the manger, and he left the manger for the cross, and he left the cross for the tomb. And he left the tomb to return back to his throne. He left blessing behind at every stop. He emptied himself so we might be filled. And that's the story of Christmas. So quickly, I just want to work through that to help us be reminded of what Christmas is about. It's first the empty throne. You see, Christ left the throne of heaven to come and rescue us. He was in heaven, he was there at the very beginning, and yet in God's great plan to rescue us, it included Christ leaving his throne. John 1.14, we read, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus left his throne. The throne was empty when he left that spot. See, if the throne was not empty, we would not have Emmanuel, which means God with us. I just try to imagine being in God the Father's place, considering sending my son, my one and only son. You mean he has to leave 
perfection and glory to come to save us. But again, if the throne was not empty, God would not be with us. And then the empty manger. See, Jesus did not stay in a manger. Not only did he leave the manger for the cross, but growing up as a carpenter's son, as a young boy, he also couldn't stay in Bethlehem where he was born. When he was a young toddler, probably two, one and a half, some, at some age in Matthew 2, 13 and 14, I'm just going to read it to you. It says, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. We'll stop there. You know, you, you probably know this already, but by the time the wise men came with their gifts, he's probably, Jesus is probably one and a half, two, don't know for sure. Some people suggest it's somewhere in that line. And then you consider, well, Joseph and Mary, they didn't have much at all. So how would they ever be able to finance anything? Think about the gifts the wise men brought. So imagine that, this Christmas scene, if you will, that these wise men come to worship Jesus to bring him gifts, this Christ Messiah. These gifts will eventually, I think, is what they're going to use to finance their trip to Egypt and eventually come back. So imagine on Christmas Day, finally, some relaxation. You get some gifts. There is hope. And then verse 14 pops up. Verse 14. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled the Lord, what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. You see that? Immediately, an angel came and said, flee, go to Egypt. And I think Joseph is an unsung hero in this story. And this is all speculation on my part, and we're not reading the whole story, but you remember that the angel came to Joseph and told him, you know, don't, don't divorce your wife. She is with child. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit is in her. Do not leave her. And he says, okay. And then two and a half years later, they get all of these gifts. Things are starting to turn around. And then all of a sudden, the angel comes to him in a dream and says, get up, flee to Egypt with child and his mother. I can't imagine that. Finally getting some gifts, finally getting ahead on Christmas. It's a Christmas that I had to hope for. And then the angel comes and says, get up and leave. And what I appreciate about Joseph, which we read in verse 14, that night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. Immediately, in the middle of the night, he had a dream. The angel told him to leave and he got up and left. Now, who here in the morning would have wait, who here would have waited for the morning to leave? I mean, I would have. I'm going to hit snooze. We'll pack in the morning. But no, he immediately got up. This is the only time that we read throughout all of Scripture that when an angel comes, even in a dream, there isn't this terror. I'm assuming it's the same angel that came and spoke to Joseph before. The first time he was terrified. The second time he was sensitive to it. And he responded. So they left and they went to Egypt. See, Christ became this perfect sacrifice because he is without sin. He left his throne. 
He left his throne empty to come to a manger, and he left his manger empty for us. If he would have stayed in that manger, obviously he would have grown up, but if he would have stayed in Bethlehem, if he would have just hid out, he would not be able to be the perfect sacrifice. If the manger wasn't empty, we would have no Savior. And if he would have never left the manger, he would have never went to the cross. See, then about the age of 33, Christ dies on the cross. Some wear a cross as a necklace. Some of you have it hanging in your house. We have this big one behind us. And for Protestants, mostly you notice that the cross never has Jesus on it. And for good reason. See, at the center of the cross, if the cross was not empty, it's not because Jesus avoided death. Jesus did not avoid death. The cross is empty because he did die. And not because he couldn't stop it from happening. You remember the whole conversation that he had with Pilate? No one takes from me. I freely give it up. The cross is empty because Jesus did it out of love. We are all sinners and are in need of being saved. Our sin separated us from God. Yet in God's great mercy and grace, he sent his son to reconcile us to God for all of those who confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. See, Christmas time is not just baby Jesus in a manger. It's not simply that. It is a empty cross. Luke 23, 46. This is when Jesus dies. He says, it reads, Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. The cross was empty because he really did die for our sins. You see, if there was no empty cross, he would not have taken our sins. He would have not been able to pay the punishment for our sins. And if he did not take our sins, then we would be lost forever. For those of you who are Christ followers here this morning, if you are feeling empty, if you're feeling a little lost, if Christmas isn't as exciting as I mentioned about my friend, um, which there has been seasons in my life where it's more, I'm scared. Just What am I going to say new on Christmas that these people have not heard before? And no offense to people who are in their 80s. You've heard it 80-something times. God bless you for that. And worrying about the performance over the rest in Christ, worrying about what to say next, worried about what gift to get your spouse For those of you who have been married for many, many years, what do you get your husband or wife that you haven't got them in the last 50? And perhaps it's just simply a reminder, a resetting that the manger was empty and so was the cross. And see, but Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He rose again three days later so we would have hope, an empty tomb. So an empty throne to an empty manger to an empty cross and to an empty tomb. Luke 24, 1 through 6 reads, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. See, Jesus didn't stay dead. He died in every sense of the word dead, but he rose again three days later. He is the resurrection and the life. We read that in John 11. See, if Jesus stayed in the tomb, then there would be no hope on this Christmas. Who cares if Jesus would have left the throne, left the manger, and left the cross? If he didn't leave the tomb, there would be no hope. We celebrate Christmas for the birth of our Savior, but we're able to celebrate the birth of our Savior because we get to celebrate the life after death in him. So this morning, as we are eagerly anticipating for Advent to be over so we can get to Christmas as you eagerly anticipate the service to be over so you can go eat your lunch. And for those of you who are still eagerly anticipating, Walmart will still be open. I have two prayers for us this morning, for two groups of people here this morning. My first prayer is for anyone in here who does not know, believe that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior today. I'm expecting I'm anticipating, I don't think this is a far stretch of the imagination, and if I'm wrong, please forgive me, but I would imagine that there could be someone in here this morning or a few of you here this morning that you know of Christ, but you haven't made him your savior. You know of sin, you've heard it before. You, some of you may have come because it's Christmas and you love the Christmas time and you came to see the kids and they're super cute. But my first prayer is for those of you who do not yet know or acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Hmm. That the love of God sent his son to die for your sins. That no matter where you are at in your life, no matter how dirty or far away you feel like from Christ, today can be the day. You are, no, you are not too far removed to come home. So that's my first prayer. That if you haven't prayed, if you haven't received Christ as your Savior, that today could be the day. It will change everything. My second prayer is for those of us who are believers here, who are believers and know that Christ has died for your sins, that knows the story, that knows all of Luke 2, that may have even recited it as a kid, as these students did this morning. My prayer for us as believers is that we arrange our hearts in such a way this evening and tomorrow going to Christmas that we are so full of joy that regardless of what we will face, not getting the gift we want, not visiting the parents we wanted, missing a loved one who's already returned home to Christ, fill in the blank, not enough money, loss of job, that your hope is not in your circumstances, but your hope is in the fact that the throne was empty, that the manger was empty, the cross, and the tomb. Because the good news is, is Christ returned to his throne. And we have hope. 
We will receive communion this morning, and you are welcome to receive communion this morning if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You believe that he is your Lord and Savior. I'm going to pray also for anyone here who, who has not made Christ the Lord of your life, the Savior of your life. I also pray if it's been a while. Again, we don't have membership here, um, so nothing like that for communion. I know that some of you, that's been your experience, and that's okay too, but you're welcome to receive communion if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We're going to sing three more songs. Um, some of the guys will pass out the bread and the juice, and after the, we receive our elements, we'll receive communion this morning. But to close, I want to read those words from that story on Empty Christmas one more time. And I quote, People never think beyond the babe in the manger. But I was taught that, and yeah, I yet believe, that Christmas is about an empty throne, an empty manger, an empty cross, and an empty tomb, all of which fill our empty hearts. The Christ child left the throne for the manger and the manger for the cross, the cross for the tomb and the tomb back to the throne. He left blessings behind at every stop. He emptied himself so we might be filled. And that, friends, is the true story of Christmas. Let me pray. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who has not accepted your son as Lord and Savior. I pray that today is the day. Lord, there will be plenty of time to um, come and share that at the end of service, Lord. I pray that uh, for the person or people, whoever it is that um, is going back and forth, that you just calm their nerves and help them come to you. Thank you for that gift, Lord. Lord, I also pray for those of us who are believers, Lord, that uh, you help us rearrange our hearts to help us focus in on who you are, Lord, that you... You love us, that the reason for Christmas is not a cliche of the reason for this season, Lord, but that it penetrates our hearts that whatever may come today, or tonight, or tomorrow, however Christmas unroll, un, unveils itself to us, that we will be full of hope and be in hope because of you. Lord, thank you again for the reminder that the nativity scene means so much, and yet so much in that story of an empty throne, an empty manger, an empty cross, and an empty tomb. And Lord, our hearts are filled, our empty hearts are filled by your love. And thank you for emptying yourself out so we may be filled in you. So Lord, as we, per as we sing a couple more songs, will you help prepare our hearts to receive communion? Thank you again for the kids who sang and taught us scripture. Thank you mostly for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.